welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. In today's episode, we're learning from thriller author A.C. Fuller, who set a goal for himself to become a full-time writer in late 2016, which was just a little over a year ago, and then went out and accomplished that goal. I'm recording this intro at 6 in the morning on a chilly Monday morning in uh, southwest Florida. I know it's cold in lots of the country, and there's a lot of snow everywhere. It was fun watching football yesterday and just seeing the snow games or the snow game in Buffalo. I don't know what makes it so much fun to watch football games played in the snow, but I really enjoyed that. Anyway, I'm going to try and keep this intro short. There's a lot to like about this interview, and we get into topics like being successful with landing BookBub ads, the value that AC has found in running AMS ads for his Alex Vane media thriller series. We get into the launch strategy that he's putting together for a new series that's coming out after the first of this year, and the mindset change that allowed him to achieve his goal of becoming a full-time author. As always, we'll have show notes and links at theauthorbiz.com. I I think I accomplished it. That's a pretty short intro. All right, let's get this one rolling. We opened this interview with me asking A.C. Fuller what he did as a first step to get serious about making a living from his writing. The very first thing I did was I started getting up at 5 a.m. every day, and that meant not watching movies late into the night with Uh my family. That was something that just had to go, and I said, if I'm not going to get up at 5 and write every day, I probably don't really want to be a writer. And that actually changed everything for me because it turns out I am a morning person uh-huh. and I could get my words you written. You didn't know that. No, I had thought, I never thought I wasn't like a night owl either, but I didn't know, I didn't like the idea of getting up at 5 a.m. every day. Uh-huh. Uh, but it worked. I started writing at that time, I was working full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to get my words written before family stuff started around 7 a.m., or else it didn't happen that day. And so I just said, either I'm doing this or I'm going to give up on being a writer forever if I'm not willing to do this. Okay. What so else? I better be willing to do it. What so else that, did you have to give up to get serious about it? Yeah. So that was the first thing. And then when I got really serious and decided I'm going to make a living at this, um, I gave up pretty much everything else in my life. <laughs> at that time, I had a podcast. Um, I had friends. <laughs> so I gave up... Uh, at first, I quit my teaching job. I gave up my podcast, uh, which was a lot of fun, but took a lot of time to do, the Writer 2.0 podcast, and now it's got episodes that aren't that relevant anymore. They're kind of outdated, most of them. Um, what else did I give up? I mean, I think I gave up anything that anyone has in their life other than writing and family, essentially, uh, just to get laser focused on it. And then I would say writing and then all the stuff that goes with writing, studying the business, studying ads, talking to people smarter than me Mm -hmm. about story, about marketing, about the business, about self-publishing. So I sort of had two phases. One was when I got serious about writing, and one was later when I got serious about making a living from writing starting immediately. All right. Okay. Um, Because I had been writing seriously for a while and going through the process of getting rejected by agents Mm -hmm. and then having a book published, having the publisher go out of business. Let's, let's put a timeline to this. Yeah, okay. So 2014, uh, I would say I got serious about writing. Okay. Like I'm going to finish my first book or, you know, or give up forever on this because I had been writing, starting and stopping, starting and stopping. So I decided I'm going to finish a book no matter what it takes, thinking maybe then I'll get an agent and go the traditional route. Finish the book, 
went that route for a while, tried to get an agent, eventually didn't get an agent, but found a small publisher. They put out the book in 2015. Mm -hmm. This was June of 2015. A year went by. They were ready to publish my second book. Then they went out of business a month before my second book was supposed to come out. All right. Let's let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Um, Why? Because... Self-publishing was a real thing when you decided to go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sign with a small yes. press. Why did, why did you go that way? I, a few reasons. One, I was fairly ignorant about self-publishing at that time. I knew that it was a real thing. I didn't look down on it like mm-hmm. a lot of people did, I think, and some still do. Um, but I didn't really understand that there were people making an actual living at it. Mm-hmm. Also, I didn't want to invest a lot of money. I didn't believe, okay. I didn't believe that... Um, like I wasn't, I wasn't confident enough to think I was going to make any money. So investing even 500 bucks or a thousand bucks in an editor and a professional cover designer Mm -hmm. scared me and knowing I could do it with a publisher and they, I wouldn't have to put any upfront costs sounded like a good idea at the time (laughs) in retrospect. It wasn't a bad idea, but it wasn't the best idea either. Did did you get an advance? No, I got no advance. I got royalties, which were incredibly low because they didn't know marketing any better than I do now. They knew marketing better than I did then, mm-hmm. but now I know a lot more than the company did at the time. Okay, about. so you published the first book. You wrote the second book. They were getting ready to publish it. and Summer of 2016, they go bankrupt. I get the rights back to the first book. So this book. is like... In, in hindsight, this is like the best thing that could ever have happened to you. Oh, when I heard they were going out of business, because by that time, a year had gone by, and I'd learned, A, I didn't make any money off my first book. Uh-huh. You know, royalties were maybe $1,000 total for the year. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'd spent a lot going to book signings and other stuff that doesn't actually sell that many books when mm-hmm. you're a no-name author like I was at the time. And... So I spent a year, wrote the second book, summer of 2016. They go out of business, and I'm thrilled because I know I'm going to get the rights back to this, and then I can do any number of things. Uh-huh. So I actually spent uh, most of the rest of 2016 writing the third book in the series and talking to a few traditionally published friends who worked with uh, really big-name publishers that I would have wanted to work with, Thomas and Mercer specifically mm-hmm. for thriller and mystery writers. They're a publisher who... Uh, really sells lots of books. So I was talking with Thomas and Mercer to see if they wanted to take on both of the books. They rejected them both because they one had been previously published and had done better than some books, but not well enough for them to care. Mm-hmm. So I flirted with them for a while. They passed. Two other small presses offered to publish both of the books. But by that point, I had learned that, wait, I can do this on my own. And I was meeting more self-published authors who were making good money. Mm-hmm. And I just said, it was November of twenty. 16, I decided I'm just going to go all in on self-publishing. That's a year ago. Yeah, a a year year ago. ago. And my wife had been saying since the beginning, just self-publish. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She had never... So it was you. You were the... Oh, I was the guy, and it was because I had incorrect ideas that I had learned, just Mm -hmm. things that turned out to be false. You can't make a living as a writer unless you happen to be John Grisham or Stephen King. Um, You know... I didn't really look down on indie publishing, but I felt like I'd rather not learn marketing and cover design. I'm partially colorblind, so I didn't want to get into cover design and making those decisions. Mm -hmm. 
And now sometimes I don't love every aspect of it, but it turns out I have a fairly entrepreneurial spirit, which my wife knew Mm -hmm. and said from the beginning back in 2014, no, just self-publish, build your own empire. I was like, nah, no, I need approval from outside sources and I need an agent to say yes. And meanwhile, I got rejected by a hundred agents, actually a hundred. I still have the list (laughs) for my first book, a couple I was close with and, you know, but Mm -hmm. like, like a lot of authors have that story. So it was, yeah, a year ago, it was November 2016, I decided I'm just all in on self-publishing. I'm just going for this. And were you, like, confident, nervous? I, was, I feel like I've failed because I've got to do it. What was, what was no, going on in your mind? I got, like, honestly, it was like I kind of knew deep down that's what I should be doing. Okay. So, someone had a great analogy who I met the other day who said something like indie publishing is Netflix and traditional publishing is blockbuster. <laughs> and... <laughs> Everyone listening who has a portfolio probably has their money in Netflix and not in Blockbuster because we all know where things are going. Oh not where gosh. they're going. They've already uh-huh. gone that yes. way. I mean, Netflix has already taken over. Yes. But um, the you know whatever stigma used to be attached to indie publishing is is mostly gone and and will soon be all the way gone. And for most people, it already is all the way gone. When you were traditionally published, did you go to conferences? I did go to conferences. And were you treated with more respect because you were traditionally published or you didn't really notice it? Uh, maybe by a couple people. Okay. Mostly the agents I talked to, you know, they wanted to know how, how well my book was selling because I was traditionally published by a very small press without mm-hmm. a literary agent. And so mostly they just didn't care because I had one book out and it wasn't selling that well. And like for me, the goal was always, or the fantasy was always make a living as a writer so I can keep writing as much as I want and write all the things I want to write. But I just like, you know, the, ne- the sort of self-talk about how it's not actually possible, I had learned from an early age. And, mm-hmm. deep, and I was just, you know, wasn't confident enough to really go for it. And there's, there's, there's just, this, it just depends on how you have, have grown up in the business. If, if you read a lot as a child, you went to the library, you went to the bookstore, you got your book, this is the way, this is the way it worked. And this other thing, if you didn't embrace the idea of reading on a Kindle six, yes. seven years ago and spend $400 for a Kindle like I did, and, um, you know, you, you might think, eh, you know, I, I want to be able to go and touch the book. and Right. And that's still mostly what I read is in paperback. Is it? And I, a lot of audiobooks because I drive a lot. So I listen to it's probably th- three quarters audiobooks now. Okay. Because I drive and I do lots of dishes and do lots of cooking. Uh-huh. And I'll listen to audiobooks as I'm cooking or, or doing dishes or doing stuff around the house. Um, so, yeah, that was part of it too. And also, I was in New York City for quite a while. I was teaching at NYU in the journalism school. Oh, so, okay. I was surrounded yes. by like New York Times type people and mm-hmm. people who, who genuinely think indie publishing isn't real. Like, I was surrounded by a lot of people like that mm-hmm. who would rather make $20,000 a year publishing with HarperCollins. Well, a good year. Yeah, yeah. and making $100,000 a year indie publishing. And some who genuinely don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. I interviewed one on my podcast once who was supposed to be a publishing expert, and she didn't know what self-publishing was. And she teaches at the new school in New York City publishing courses. So they're v- And that can work for some people. I do know people who are happily traditionally published. Mm-hmm. I know way more people who are traditionally published who, not on a podcast, but over two beers, will tell you how much they hate their publisher.
Yes, and, and how afraid they are about what's going to happen. And I mean, you're a perfect example of, of what can happen. Let's, before we get into what happened for you, um, tell us a little bit about what you write. What, I mean, you're not, we're 20 books to 50K, and there are a lot of people that write science fiction and fantasy here. Yeah, and so what I found is I'm actually, I haven't found that many folks at the 20 books to 50K who write uh, thrillers and I, or non-science fiction or paranormal thrillers. So I write thrillers set in the modern actual world. I call them media thrillers because they feature journalists and media people and increasingly social media people. So they're about breaking stories, uncovering corruption, uncovering conspiracies. And of course, there's always a few dead bodies in the stories and they're fast paced. And my writing style is a little more on the literary side. Um, especially in my earlier books, probably a little too much in that direction. Mm-hmm. I would say I, I would trim 10% if I could have my first book back. Um, but they are about politics, legal stuff, conspiracies, and journalism in the media. And that was because, A, I used to be a journalist and teach journalism at NYU. And B, when I started getting serious about writing, I knew that the social media revolution was coming for journalism. And it has now come for journalism. If you follow the 2016 election at all, you know that Facebook and Twitter played a bigger role than CNN and the New York Times in the election. And so I knew that was coming, and so I wanted to write in that world. And so that's what I love, and that's what I like to write about. How has your writing changed since you've gone indie? And it, it just is, is there a different mindset? Are you learning things, not so much about craft, but how to structure a, a story or, or what it takes to, for, for books to sell well? Yeah, they, my books have gotten a little shorter. That's the first thing. My first book, which I was aiming to get an agent with, was around 92,000 words. And most uh, traditionally published thrillers tend to be closer to you know, 90 to 100. Mm-hmm. So then my second book was about 75. My third was about 85,000. My last one's my shortest, was 65,000. And I was worried about that. And everyone says it's my best book. The Shadow File eroded in six weeks instead of two and a half years, which is how long my first book took. Mm-hmm. And all because I met people in 20 books who convinced me that that was possible. And then when I saw myself doing it, I started believing it was possible, even though I you know, wouldn't have thought it was um, when, a year do, ago. Do you read in, in the genre? Yeah. Okay. When yeah. you read, does, does page count make a difference to you? No. It, I, if a book is too long, it will make a difference. Like if I see a book that's six, seven, eight hundred, mm-hmm. I'm less likely to try it out unless I know that author and know that I like them already. So if it's a first time author or first time for me, I'm less likely to try that. But anything between, you know, 200 and 500 is about the same in my mindset. Mm-hmm. Something that's shorter, I'm less likely to try out also. Especially if they're calling it a novel mm-hmm. and it's only like 110 pages, I'm less cuz that to me is not enough to do a full thriller. If they're calling it a novella, mm-hmm. I might try that, but even the one novella I wrote that's 25,000 words, it doesn't feel like as much of a full story. Like it is complete in and of itself, but I easily could have written the same story twice as long and put in more cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I like two two hundred pages and above. But. Yeah, and I, I'm the same way. When I when I see something, if it looks interesting, it's I like I like short. I like short. So if I saw a hundred page one, I would. I would be more inclined to get that than a 500-page one. But my sweet spot's kind of like 200 pages. And if it's 350, I've got to know I'm going to like it because it's, I feel like I'm making a commitment, a bargain with the author when I start yes. reading their book. So I need to finish it. And, 
and honestly, if you go look at the reviews of my first book, which still sells well and people tend to like, the the thing, the reviews that I know are correct are just that I could have cut out 10% of it, that it's a little too long for how much story there is. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's right. And, um, and did when you were writing it, were you inten- You were intentionally going for a, a word count? Or- yeah, I was. And also I was just more long-winded and didn't, you know, like now I would try to combine scenes. Like how much can I do with this 3,000 word scene? Mm-hmm. And so if I had to had it over again, I could take my first book and take like two scenes and make it into one way more interesting scene that's only a little longer uh, than than one of the scenes. Okay, so when your brilliant wife convinced you to go indie, yes, what walk us through like the next few months? What what changed? What have, what did you do differently? Right. So this is November 2016. We were sitting in the hot tub, and for the hundredth time, she said, "All right, said, let's not go into too much detail." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the kids were there. We're we're lounging around, and she said. Uh, she, for probably the hundredth time, you should really just go indie. Like you can do this, and I have total faith. And she was working also full time, mm-hmm. so um, so she, and she was totally supportive. And I finally said, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. And that was November 2016. My first book came, which was already done, had already been now, published. Th- when you say I'm going to do that, does that mean you quit your job? No, I okay. did not quit my job. I was still teaching at a small college near okay. Seattle, All right. teaching English there. And uh, and she was working full-time. So I was working like three-quarters time mm-hmm. uh, as an adjunct teacher um, and then doing a lot of the household stuff. Okay. And I, I used to be a chef, so I do all the cooking nice. and stuff like that. Nice for she her. She appreciates. Yes, I can. You can get away with a lot if you know how to cook. They'll forgive a lot of other things, like letting you be a writer, for example. <laughs> like if I couldn't cook, I probably wouldn't have written any books because she's like, as long as you cook me good food every now and then, you can write. Yeah, and if you're a full time writer, that means you're home all the time and there's yeah. good food every I night. Mean, now that my career is going a little better, I actually don't cook as much anymore, and that's a problem. But we can talk about that later. So uh, I, I didn't really go all in. I said I'm going to put out my first book. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was already done, already edited, so already proofread. that's actually the second book that was going to be traditionally published? No, it was it, – I, I, since I got the rights back to my first book, uh-huh. The Anonymous Source, I started by oh, self-publishing that. Okay, all right. So I've got more questions about that because yeah. you said you didn't want to do covers, you didn't want to do all this other stuff, yeah. and now you're faced with all that. So what yeah. did you do? I – I when the company went out of business, I bought the cover. Oh, really? That, I had bought the cover that had been with the publisher, uh-huh. so I got the rights to that. I got all the rights to everything, and then I just did the bare minimum. I paid someone to do the formatting. I just like Googled, you know, book formatting and paid someone seventy nine bucks or one hundred nineteen bucks to format the ebook and paperback. I put. I I just did a basic. Watched a YouTube video on how the heck does KDP work. And uploaded the book, uploaded the old cover that I already had, uh, got it formatted, uh, had the cover designer change the cover for the new page count because it was slightly different because it had been reformatted, paid him a little to do that, uh, and then put it up. I think I put it up on a pre-order for some reason. I don't remember really what I was thinking. I had no idea what I was doing. And I put it up, and it started selling pretty well because this is the thing. is It already had 200 reviews oh. from when it was published. I was able to get Amazon to put the old reviews up. So the book had been... I mean, did you actually talk to them about that like, or yeah. communicate with them? Yeah, so the book came down off the internet, off of Amazon uh-huh. in like June of 2016. I didn't know that was possible. Yeah, That's so pretty f- cool. five months later... Uh, 
I said, this is the same book. It's exactly the same book, literally, uh, other than now it's self-published. Can you get this old ASIN number and put all those reviews on this new book that I'm self-publishing? And they just did it. So when the book was relaunched, it already had a 200 or maybe 150 Mm -hmm. reviews on it. So that was good. And so then it was in there. But it it still counted as a hot new release on Amazon's list. Mm -hmm. So like a few weeks later, it was the number one hot new release in the financial thriller section because there is no media thriller section. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of about money too. So I put it in the financial thriller section. And then uh, a week after it came out, I applied for BookBub and they accepted it. All right, now let's let's stop here for a minute, okay. and let's go back. Um, you're, you put it up for pre-order, and you released it. Um, how many just how many pre-orders did you get? You I remember? think I got like a hundred okay. or so, not very many. Right. And I think it was at ninety-nine cents on the pre-order too, okay. so I was making no money. And then the first week or so, how did it sell? I think it sold. I put the. I think it sold. I think I was doing like ten to twenty dollars a day. Okay. In sales and very few KU pages, but it was in Kindle Unlimited. Okay, to start so I mean off. that's pretty good for your yeah. first self-published book. That right, yeah. Okay, so it was doing pretty well, uh-huh. and and I think I mean I, I was doing very little to market it, so I think having it be in the hot new releases uh-huh. and already have two hundred reviews from a year ago okay. probably helped. But I didn't do much at that point to market it. Okay. This was like December, January of 20, you know, 16, 2017. Okay. And then you went to BookBub with your one book, and they accepted you, which is yes. just like you, you told me, and we'll get into this. Um, you were talking about BookBub, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I've been very lucky with BookBub, I would say. Maybe not luck, but because I did study the hell out of what BookBub does, what their criteria w- was. I've read, I read every single email they send out. I, I, I subscribe, so I see what sort of books with what sort of covers they use and all that. And also the main thing was when I had been published by this small press, I went a little more the traditional route of spending a huge amount of time trying to get blurbs from famous authors. Okay. All and right. so I did get blurbs from one who at, at that time was the biggest thriller writer on Amazon, Robert Dagoni, who has the series My Sister's Grave was the first book, which was a Thomas and Mercer book, which had been the number one book on all of Amazon, making selling, I don't know, I think it's sold a million copies now. And um, so I happened to do a podcast interview with him. I asked, he said, can I ever do anything for you? And I said, sure, you want to blurb my book? And he wrote an amazing blurb. Uh-huh. Probably that helped the BookBub thing, I would assume, because I put the blurb in my application to them. And he wrote a really good blurb I probably didn't deserve. But, um, you know, uh, anyway. And then and then uh, my friend Roger Hobbs, who was also a traditionally published New York Times bestselling thriller author, I, wrote a really nice... Yeah, he passed, what, a couple of years ago? He, his he, first book was unbelievable. Yeah, he passed in November. Yeah, he was... Uh, he and I actually became really good friends. Mm-hmm. And that was the one in-person interview I did for my podcast was with him okay. when he moved to Seattle. He passed last November. I'm actually going to the one-year anniversary of his death in Portland next weekend. Um, he was the most talented writer I ever knew. He was 22 when he wrote his first book, Ghost his, Man. His story, I, I actually, he is, he is one of two people that I tried to interview that I couldn't get. He just never responded to uh, anything. Yeah, he doesn't respond to anything. Uh-huh. He, I mean, he, now he's no longer with us. But even when he was alive, he he's eccentric. Uh-huh. He was the most brilliant writer I knew. But he would, we were close friends, and he on, wouldn't respond to me for three weeks at a time, and then he come back like nothing happened i mean he was he was 
he was depressive, um, and it's no secret now he had a drug problem, mm-hmm. um, which he died of an accidental overdose. Um, but he was the kind of person who could write whole pages off the top of his head mm-hmm. in between bites of a taco. Um, I was talking, I was working with him on his third book, City of Sirens, which will now never come out. But um, he would write whole pages off the top of his head and just dictate them out loud that were better than anything I've ever written. And he would come out first draft off the top of his head. Um, but, you know, he had a lot of I I, I recommend a lot of books, but I, I don't like... I, I like I'll get to know you a little bit and I'll say, you know, you would like this book. Right. And um but with, with Ghost Man, I just like everybody. I, I couldn't tell enough people how great yeah. Ghost Man was. Yeah, so he's he's one of the great he was a great success story in tradi- the traditional publishing world yes. and um but obviously it didn't work out that well for him. That was actually part of the reason. So he he passed away in November of twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. the same month I decided to go full-on independent that was actually i wasn't going to share that as part of it but that was part of my inspiration was just seeing like um he and i've been writing together in seattle and he'd given me a lot of advice on my third book which is actually dedicated to him and um i decided at that point like i could keep trying the traditional route or i can just say like i'm going all in on and something about him passing made me think I don't know how much time I have, you know, luckily I don't have issues with drugs, but you know, anything could happen. I'm just going to do my very best at self-publishing starting Mm -hmm. immediately. And I'm not putting this off anymore. And, um, yeah, so I miss him a lot. And, uh, I definitely recommend ghost man. I I miss his book. Second book was, it it wasn't as jarring as ghost man because ghost man was just, it just, Came out you right out of the blue and yeah. and was unlike anything I'd ever and read he was before. Twenty one when he wrote that. Yeah. Oh, I, when I did the research yeah. on him afterwards, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. It's like yeah. life is not fair. He was really that talented too. It's um, his third book, City of Sirens, was going to be about an, an art heist during a coup in Bangkok, oh. and so I still have the first fifty pages on my hard drive, and it's never going to come out now. He didn't he didn't finish it or have much, but um, it's uh, yeah, that was a tragic yes tragic loss. Yeah. He is, he is a great loss to the, the the people that love thrillers. Yeah, so before my first book came out, he wrote a blurb for my first book, too, which, back to the BookBub thing, that probably helped. And honestly, I don't fully know why. Like, I study BookBub, and part of it's luck, part of it's blurb, part of it's that my book was really well edited. You read the first page, it's like it's obviously professional, even mm-hmm. if it's not your thing. And so, you know, I think BookBub has a lot of criteria and and since then, I've changed my covers uh, also, which I think could help. Now, it, w- w- before we before we started recording, you mentioned you were four for four on on BookBub, and we'll get into that. I want to get into that. Um, I just I don't want to forget to ask about it. So that's the first book. Yeah. All right. So so that's uh, you're doing well. How how big a bump? How valuable was Book Bump or BookBub? Uh, basically, so, so for a thriller. Uh, book it was uh, it cost three hundred ninety six dollars I think for a free book uh-huh. and everyone says don't if you only have one book out don't do a book bub and I, I would say that's not true in my genre at least in my circumstances because mm-hmm. I was in Kindle Unlimited so we gave away fifty thousand free copies it was the number one free book on Amazon that day usually the number one free book on Amazon any given day is whatever thriller BookBub is giving away that day okay. if you just go look at the list right now check the number one book it's probably on BookBub's free thriller list so it was the number one book and then sales went a lot better Kindle Unlimited page reads went a lot better I probably my first month my first full 
whole month, I think I made $1,700 off the one book. Wow. So it came out like late December. So my first full month was January, and I think okay. I made $1,700 that month. And then, because it was at the it was at the end of January, so I made seventeen hundred that month, and I think I made twenty five hundred my second month, February, with one book, with just the one book, mostly page reads, Kindle Unlimited, because of the BookBub. Okay, that's like I, I wish I could take more credit. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, people were liking the book, they were reading through, yeah. they were recommending it and stuff, but without the BookBub, before the BookBub, I was making maybe. I don't know. Some, I had had some good days, but I think you know, ten to forty, something like that, depending on the day. But um, then the book bub hit, and of course, got the book got lots of sales because it got the huge bump in page rank. Mm-hmm. And then I put up the pre order for book two right before the book bub because I had the book bub at the end of January, and mm-hmm. I said, hmm, a lot of people are going to get this book really soon. Let me put up the pre order for book two. And at that time, the book was finished, and I thought it took six months to edit a book. That was what I had in my head at that time when I put up the pre-order. Uh-huh. I thought, I'm being hugely ambitious. I'm only going to give myself three months to edit this book. <laughs> and I, the first draft was done on the second book. Uh-huh. Before the publisher went out of business, I was like ready to go to the editor. So I thought, I'm going to be hugely ambitious. I'm going to set the pre-order for three months from now. In between the book bub and three months from now, I'll edit this second book. And, of course, I've gotten much more ambitious since then. But so the book bub helped. Pre-order started coming in for the second book, which I put at full price at three ninety nine, okay. I think, at the time. Uh-huh. And it didn't do great, but I got you know a few hundred pre-orders over the next two months. Mm-hmm. And I did put it out on time. I also put out a book of short stories that I knew wouldn't sell. And it actually sold okay, but not very well. Of stuff I'd already written. Mm-hmm. Um, but in January of 2017... I started realizing if I'm going to self-publish, I really need to find people who are good at this and learn as much as possible. And that's when I found the 20 Books Facebook group. Because uh-huh. I had my Writer 2.0 podcast then. We had a Facebook group where I was like, so I was one of the experts Yes. at that point. Like, you know, expertise is comparative. And mm-hmm. so, like, I was an expert because I knew more than some people. And then I found the 20 Books Facebook group and realized, like, I was one of the pre- people there with the least amount of expertise about self-publishing. Mm-hmm. And it just blew my mind. So I found that group, and then someone posted one of your podcasts with Michael Anderley, and I listened to all of the series. I think you had at that point done two or three with him. And I listened to uh, one of them where he was talking about how much money he was making, how fast he was publishing, and... I was feeling I was kind of on a high because I thought, well, my first and second months went better than I thought because of mm-hmm. this book bub. Like, I'm not making retirement money, but like a thousand, two thousand a month, twenty five hundred a month. Okay, this is pretty good. And then I heard Michael talking about what he was making and how many books he was publishing out, and it was like an epiphany, you know, pull over the car sort of moment. Listening to the podcast, uh-huh. I was driving over the Hood Canal Bridge in Washington, taking my son back from a bookstore, and it's like I remember it because it was like, oh my god, this is actually possible like i can not only make a little money off this but i can make a living off this and maybe make a really good living off this because i already knew that my books were good i knew i could write well enough i knew that um people were interested in them i didn't think i could write that fast and i still don't write as fast as he does but my first book took two and a half years the second the last one took six weeks so it's getting Six a lot weeks, faster. Um, start to publication? Start to publication. Okay. Yeah, so it took That's a, pretty a, fast. a month to write. We uh-huh. edited for about 10 days and then a few days okay, for so you're, odds and ends. We skipped over the full-time part. So let's, let's yeah. go back to, all right, second book. You're, how did the second book do? I mean, you, you talked about the pre-orders. Yes. Yeah, so and it came out. What happened? The second book did not very well. Um, 
the cover was in retrospect terrible. It didn't have a person on it. Didn't it look? Someone said it looked like a travel book. And if you go find it online, the inverted pyramid, it did look like a travel book. Okay. Now I have a better cover, uh, so it didn't do good. I also made a great mistake, which was I changed the price from three ninety nine to ninety nine cents during the pre order, so by accident. And what that does on Amazon is everyone who had already pre ordered at three ninety nine only got charged 99 cents. That's one of their policies. Mm-hmm. It was totally my error, and I tried to get them to salvage it. And so I, I cost myself about $700 that month by clicking incorrectly one time. So that was a bit of a bummer for my fourth month in self-publishing. Uh-huh. That book didn't do very well at all. And um, I had planned to take maybe three or four months to put out my third book. And instead, I put out my third book just a month after my second book, I had already written the first draft. And again, mm-hmm. I was thinking, okay, three or four months to edit this. So instead, I took three weeks to edit it and um, really decided, like, I can edit this way faster than I think. And so I edited it a lot faster, and then my editor edited it. That came out in May of 2017. Um, and in the meantime, so BookBub then took... So I had a couple really bad months, May... Uh, April, May, June of 2017, mm-hmm. my income was way down. Okay, what's way down? Uh, probably 500 to 1,000 okay. all of those months, even with new releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, in May, my third book, The Mockingbird Drive, came out, and I think it was back up to 1,500 or 2,000 at that point with that new release. And I did more promo and stuff. The promo I was doing wasn't working very well, though. Partially, I had covers that did not fit the genre so that my launches were fairly disastrous. And, and why Why was that? Did, were you just ill-informed at that time? Yes, I was ill-informed. It was actually Michael Cooper who writes under MD Cooper who mm-hmm. finally just said, like, your covers are pretty artistic and nice. They're not good fits for the genre. And so why it was was I bought, like I said, I bought the cover from the artist when my publisher went out of business. Mm-hmm. And then we did covers in that style. So we oh, kept the okay. same font. Right. Uh-huh. And for... The first cover worked well enough because it had a person on it. We used the same style but without people, and they were very imagistic. And they were, I think, beautiful to look at. They were not good thriller covers. What's, what's the best way? Because I, I read a lot of thrillers, and I, I read a lot of thrillers that I think are really good and they're not selling well. And I look at the covers, and the covers are horrific. Is there a kind way to say – I mean, you, wanna, you want to say to the author who may not know you from Adam, right. dude, fix these things, and you're going to sell a lot more books because these are really good books. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. The way – because people had hinted at that with me before. Okay. And Michael tends to be pretty direct, and he just said in a Facebook group, you know, your covers are artistically nice – you know, no offense to the people who designed them. They look good. They're not going to help your career very much. That's a good way of putting it. And yeah. when I tell people that now, mm-hmm. I use myself as an example. Mm-hmm. And I say I had covers, and I still love the cover for my third book, The Mockingbird Drive. The original cover, I think, is fabulous. It didn't help me sell copies of the book, unfortunately. My new one, I don't love the art as much, but I love that what it's doing. And it just it makes sense. It looks good at a small Resolution on Amazon, which how did really you, matters. How did you find your cover designer? Um, it's actually Victoria Cooper, Michael's sister, okay. designs covers. Craig Martell has one thriller called, I think it's called People Raged. And I saw his cover go by and I said, who did that cover? It looks like it reads as, that's a thriller within one second. You know, mm-hmm. it's a thriller. And I said, who did that? And he said, Victoria Cooper, Michael's sister. And I just 
emailed her and okay. said, can you do a mock-up for uh, this book I have in mind? And she sent back the cover of The Shadow File, which turned into my fourth book on our first draft, which was just phenomenal, perfect, nailed it. And if people go look at The Shadow File online, they'll see, like, even if they don't like that sort of book, they know what kind of book it is Yes, within a second or yeah, two. Yeah, and it's so important. Yeah, and so, like, you either know it's for you or you know it's not for you. Mm-hmm. You know you're, it's not what you're looking for, it's not what you're looking for, but you're not going to buy it accidentally. Like, you're not going to think it's a travel book like the first cover of The Inverted Pyramid. Okay, so you're, you're at this point, you're through three books. Have you only had one BookBub ad? Uh, it's two at this point because I had one when I was with the publisher. Okay. I had one. All right. But so two, both on the same book, both okay. when I only had one book out, which okay. is a strange thing. And then I had BookBubs in... Um, so then things were floundering. They were kind of heading financially heading downhill for mm-hmm. a couple months. Um, and then I got book bubs in July, August, and September, was it? What the heck was it? It was in August. Oh, it was August and September Okay, is when, when, is when they were. So I, I got accepted in July, and it ran in August, and then one in September. But And I hadn't... After May, when my third book came out, I decided I'm going to write a whole new trilogy as fast as I can and release it all at the same time. And it didn't go as fast as I thought, but I'm going to have three books coming out in January. So that'll be that'll be a different experience for you. Yes. And so, and luckily, when those two book bubs hit on my other two books, um, I knew okay, I can relax a little about putting out a new book because I know I'm going to make at least a few thousand a month mm-hmm. when these book bub things happen. And I didn't know how much because I didn't know, I didn't know what the difference would be between having a book bub on when I only have one book out or having three books out. And obviously, when I had three books out, it was better. Okay, so when when did you're a full time writer now? Yes, now I am. And uh, when did you make the decision? This is actually going to work for me and I can quit my I can quit the job thing and just focus full time on this. So it was around May when my third book came out even okay. though I wasn't making you a were lot floundering of money. At that I was time. still floundering at that uh-huh. time, but I knew that I wasn't going to be floundering. I knew BookBub was going to take these books and I had to I changed they rejected them a bunch of times in a row and I changed the covers and then they took them. Um and so I just I a my wife was super confident. She mm-hmm. said, "No, no, no. You're you're going to be the next Michael Anderley. Don't worry about it." Um cuz she listened to those podcasts too. Uh-huh. She and she was very confident more than I was, and she knew I was working my butt off too to write new stuff. So I was floundering and I was working still as an English teacher. So I quit in May. Um I think think I taught my last class in June. And then spent the whole summer of 2017 writing this new trilogy, knowing our income would be down for a while because um, I wasn't, wouldn't be releasing new books, but then that it would come back up when I released them. And then I got the two book bubs back-to-back months, so my income actually went up to you know, uh, a few months in a row of 3000 and then capping out at like 4500 or 5000 depending on whether you count paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, which with, and that was with Do you do enough paper? Sales to I, no, I don't even count them. I might okay, have, my right. best month of paperbacks might be one hundred and fifty dollars okay, or two hundred dollars right. or something. But then I have audio books of my first book, mm-hmm. so that brings in a little something. Um, but but basically, yeah. So I I thought my income is going to go down and down and down. I think it got down at one point to like five hundred one month. I think I did maybe July before the book bub, mm-hmm. the two book bubs in a row. And honestly, that's. But like I was confident enough that I knew I could write, and I knew that I had a plan of writing this new trilogy, which is sort of a spin-off of my first one. Mm-hmm. 
So I wrote that, and almost almost done with that, and then I had the fourth book in my series planned for October 24th, and so that just came out a couple weeks ago. Okay. So I thought I'm going to take a few months off of my main series, write a whole trilogy, then release the fourth book in my series, then launch the whole trilogy. That was the plan. And what's what's the timing for the launch? Uh, what, what's the what's the launch sequence in terms of number of days between releases? So my my next trilogy, which are, are political thrillers, mm-hmm. they will come out January first, January eighth, January twentieth. Okay. All so right. so three books in three weeks, and then I think the fourth one will come out. I haven't quite decided whether I'm going to do the next book in my first series after that, or the fourth book in the new series after that. Um, I need to decide that soon. Yes. Do I get a vote? Yeah. What do you think? Do the fourth book in the new series. Fourth book in the new series. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. come? Um, just what I see in in working with with other authors at LMBPN, it's like if the third book hits, you really need you really need the fourth book. Yeah. And it needs to be quick. And if you're fiddling around with the others, it's right after the fourth book, then you get a little relief. Okay, that makes sense and that's that's what I where I was leaning. I mean talk to Martha Carr. Martha's Martha's here. She would be a yeah. good person to uh, to ask that question to. Yeah, no, I've heard that from a couple people and I think I will. It's like I'm sort of I don't want to I'm going to lose the momentum I have on the series I have going anyway cuz it's going to yes. be a while. Yeah. Um but that just is what it is. I think this series, the new one, I I just I and I'm pretty sure I'm right that it will do better because I I know that it I I've tested the idea on a lot of people. It's a concept that hits home for more people. Uh, it's going to take a lot of marketing, but I think it's I think it's a series that has more potential than my first series. Are you doing any marketing now other than yeah. BookBub? Yeah, so that was another thing. In addition to the BookBub, I learned AMS ads. Okay. So that's one thing that's kept page reads high, mm-hmm. I would say. And it definitely, nothing compares to BookBub, but it's it helped. It probably took me from you know a $3,000 a month to a $4,000 a month mm-hmm. kind of thing. So in a, when I got the BookBubs, I decided I really should learn AMS ads because it's fairly low risk. And how, not, how did you do that? Um, I started reading threads on the 20 books, Facebook groups, just lurking around. And when a thread would pop up Mm -hmm. and smart people who I knew made a lot of money answered questions, I just listened to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I met a guy named Michael Sta, who is a, I believe he's a Polish guy who does ads and he started helping me run some Facebook ads. What's what's the spelling of his last name? S T A. Okay. Short for Stawicki is his is his real name, but he writes under Michael Sta. He writes not nonfiction, so he helped me some. Mm-hmm. So I did those. Um, I started, you know, I, I did a a novella, you know, a book zero in the series after, you know, that was a kind of a, a prequel. I started doing that on Insta Freebie and on I know, uh, building a mailing list, which my publisher, for example, didn't know about mailing lists. Now most indies, and I'm sure your listeners know, you got to have a mailing list. It's pretty useful. Everyone but Scott Paul. Yeah. So not DS everybody Paul. does it, but yeah, it's a it's a mostly free way to build build up your readership. And mm-hmm. so I did that whole thing. That probably helped some. Um, what else did I do? So that what when, when you're spending money on AMS ads, how much were you spending? Uh, the most I've ever spent is one fifty in a month. Okay, all right. So I, I couldn't get Amazon to run them most of the time. And I was trying them out, and they just wouldn't – they would work for a couple days and then just peter out, and I didn't know you had to keep making more and more ads. Okay. And so I think this last month I spent the most I've ever spent, and I think it was 150 Okay. 
but uh, you feel like that's money well spent. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I can. I'm I'm tracking it well enough. I don't track it like some people do, where they're really into the data. Mm-hmm. But I can tell, like when I can see the rank of a book. You know, is it say fifty thousand? I start a new ad, and I'm not getting a lot of sales, but the rank is suddenly at eight thousand. Okay. I know that I've just gotten you know fifteen ku downloads, and then a week later the page reads start going up and up and up. Okay. So. That's what I've tried. What's the breakdown of your revenue between KU and sales? Overall lifetime, it's about 50-50. On the months of the book bub, it's more like 60-40 toward page reads over sales. Essentially what's happening is I'm giving away free books on BookBub. People click the link. They end up at my page. And instead of clicking buy for free, they click read for free because they're already Kindle Unlimited members. Okay. That's the whole thing. That's interesting. And if you're Kindle Unlimited and, and have a BookBub book a lot of, and you're giving away the book for free, people will click read for free instead of buy for free. And then you get the page reads. Okay. Um, one of the things that I find interesting about your story is that we we hear these success stories over and over again, and so many times it's not in the genre that, that you write in. Or in this case, I, I, I want to write in the genre that you're writing in, and I see these people killing it in science fiction or romance and, and doing all these things. I very seldom see people doing what you're doing with thrillers and building the kind of momentum that you're, that you're building. Yeah. And did, you, I, did you find someone, that people that you could follow that are thriller writers that are sort of inspirations to you? I mean, Mark Dawson is probably oh, number, yeah, the, number the one because he, he's doing phenomenally. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, Joanna Penn mm-hmm. writes thrillers technically. They're not the kind of thrillers I write, so they're both called thrillers. But, but those those are unique. I mean, they're yeah. personalities. Yes. Um, there's someone named something Mars, John Mars, Jack Mars. It's probably a pen name who writes straightforward political thrillers that's doing really well who i don't know personally but i've read some of the books um i don't see a lot of people and that's one of the i think maybe one of the reasons i've had luck with bookbub is i think the competition for bookbubs is not as stiff i believe if you're giving away books for free because traditional publishers are using bookbub all the time now Mm -hmm. for discounted books but they're not going to drop a book below 299 or 199 or 99 cents ever and so i think i just might have less competition there i think there's a number of factors but no i don't see a lot of people writing my kind of thrillers who are indie i just don't meet that many and i really Mm -hmm. look i I hope there are some out there who will email me yes ac at ac fuller and just say hey because i'd like to know you and get to know you yeah and 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 maybe you're going to be the guy that people are talking about two years from now that i didn't think you could do this writing thrillers but i heard ac fuller on the author biz talking about what he did and i i was inspired pulled off the road coming back from a bookstore and uh, that would be look at me now that would be great because i i wasn't sure when especially when i got in the 20 books group and i saw so many people doing really well with sci-fi or Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantasy, or I know some romance authors who are, who are just killing it in romance, making one hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year writing romance, and even a lot of the people who aren't big name romance authors are making yes. a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. and they're not like household name type writers. Uh, they're just plugging away, putting out four or five books a year, and doing really well. Um, but. Yeah, so I wasn't sure it could be done in thrillers, and but I just for me it was like my first priority was I, I wasn't going to write to market just because that's not my thing. Like I had to write the books I want to write. Mm-hmm. The new series I'm launching is a high concept political thing that doesn't fit into a genre really well. 
but I can't not write it. So I'm just going to write it. I'm already writing it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to figure out how to market it. And, and I, you, you've got enough confidence in yourself and in the work yeah. that you, you just know you're going to be able to make it work. I just know I'm going to be able to make it work. And I'll, but it's also not like, let's just, you know, do this without thinking about it. Like I, you know, I had probably 20 people have read the first 50 pages now mm-hmm. and given me feedback on it. And I've made changes based on that. And, and so I'm not just like arrogant enough to think my first version is going to be perfect, but I also feel like I can't live unless I'm writing the exact thing I want to write. And I'm willing to make some changes to it to make it better and have more impactful. But the concept and the kind of world that I want to build has to be what I want or mm-hmm. For me, I just don't. I don't think I'm talented enough to fake it. Someone like Roger Hobbs, he uh, he actually. This is no, people don't know this. He had self published two sci fi books before he got his million dollar book oh, deal with Knopf. No I have one of them. I have one of the only copies on earth. I'll show it to you sometime. <laughs> and he had self published them. And then when he got this book deal, they scrub they scrubbed them from the internet, took them down so that no one would know. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, he wanted to write sci-fi and fantasy and was a huge Game of Thrones guy and stuff uh-huh. like that. But he was talented enough that he could write anything. So he got an agent based on sheer talent. His agent said, if you write a Lee Child-esque kick-ass thriller, I will sell it for a ton of money. And that's exactly what happened. But he was talented enough that he could have written anything he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that talented. <laughs> I, have, I have to write the thing I want. And then I'll figure out how to market it. Like with my first books, I wrote what I wanted. Then I said, let's call them media thrillers. And I started yeah. writing, writing to Amazon and said, will you make a category of media thrillers or journalistic thrillers and they have not written back yet but i'm still trying well, you'll know when you get that number one bestseller eventually that you are the I'll, book, I'll in, I'll that the only book <laughs> in that category yeah i mean people write books like that michael Connolly's book the poet you know that mm-hmm. could be called a media thriller journalism thriller i just called them next i didn't know what else to call them really yeah i and i'm drawing a blank i interviewed someone once for a different show for crimefiction.fm um who wrote essentially media thrillers and her her character followed a similar path to yours where she started in the newspaper business and now was was doing online with a lot of video and stuff and it was i mean it was an interesting series yeah uh, and and the books the books sell well one of the things that that i find so interesting about your story and just so interesting about meeting all the people here and just seeing what you see online is that there are all these different levels of success. Right. There, there are the obvious successes. Um, Mark Dawson, people like that, where you just look at and you go, oh, my God, I, I could never do that. And there are people listening to this show today that are listening to your story and saying, oh, my God, I could never do that. I could never be a full-time writer. And, you know, it, it's just so important to just look ahead. Look ahead of where you're at. And yeah. Um, you know, don't don't compare yourself. And I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the right. audience here. Yeah. I mean, don't don't compare yourself to Mark Dawson or Michael Anderley or someone like that. Compare yourself to the guy that's making eight thousand dollars a month. And and what do you need to do to get there? Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. So I would say like I'm at the lowest level of people who are full time writers at this point because I'm just. A lot of people wouldn't consider what I'm making a full-time living, but my wife still works. It was enough to replace all my income and then some mm-hmm. for my teaching job, and and it was enough to say I'm quitting my job. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to like. People ask me to do freelance editing or talk at workshops. I turn down everything now because it's just only write more books, write mm-hmm. more books, write more books. And so, but a lot of it was being inspired by people like Michael Anderley and my friend Nick Thacker, who does really well in thrillers. Also, mm-hmm. he's another guy actually who writes sort of mainstream airport thrillers that do really well um just being inspired by people like that not comparing myself to them but just seeing okay this is real and it will happen if i keep if i work my butt off at it for a long time okay
Let's make a deal. Next year in Las Vegas, we're doing all this again. Let's yeah. talk again. Absolutely. And uh, let's see how it went over the course of the last year. That sounds I good. I bet it's going to be a more inspiring story. I think so. I hope to have another 10 to 12 books out by then, uh, multiple new series, and we'll see. Well, it'll, it, check out my series. Go type a meritocracy into Amazon, and you'll see this series will either absolutely flail and do nothing and be the end of me, and we'll talk next year, and I'll be like, yeah, I have a I wash lettuce at Wendy's 25 hours a week because I put all this money into this uh, bizarre high-concept political thriller series, and no one bought it. Or it'll do really well, I think, because it's a cool concept, and uh, yeah, and I'll be a, a more inspiring story. But it, we'll see. I just, I'm at the point where I don't know how this series will do at all, so I'm a little nervous about it. AC Fuller, thanks for being here today. What's yeah. what's the best? Where's the best place for people to find you online? Uh, ACFuller.com or just AC at AC Fuller if you want to email me. Also Facebook. I'm all over Facebook, so um, those are the best places. And Twitter too at AC Fuller Author. All right, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. That was fun. <laughs>